media, but it's not been pushed out of reality. It's true. And the best evidence of this message being true is a transformed life. Who in here could say, because of Jesus, I've had a transformed life. I'm not what I was before. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things, but I've had the grace of God and the love of God, and he's not out here. He's in here. Amen? And I'm thankful I had a family that told me that, and some of them are here, and I'm pleased that they're here, because the church, it's nice to have some of your actual family <laughs> and some of your inherited family from the church of Jesus Christ, and it should feel like that, shouldn't it? And I'm thankful that people loved me enough when I was a wee boy and cared enough about me when I was Thomas's age to tell me that Jesus loved me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And it's true. And I saw it modeled in my family. Not perfect, and they'll tell you that themselves. None of us are. But the love of Christ was displayed in my family unit and some of my extended family who were Christians. And I got to see that this wasn't just a Christmas story, that Jesus and love for Jesus is very real and it changes your life in here. And I know much more today than I knew him then, when I became a Christian in my grand Steen's house at seven years old. I knew him that much then, maybe I know him this much now. But you need to at least know him this much, don't you? You need to at least know him this much. And you know, so what did God do to make this easy for us so that even a child can understand the good news? Well, he humbled himself. God is a triune God, one God, but God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. God has always existed. He was there at the dawn of creation, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because of the great gap and the chasm that's caused by you and I's sins, the wrong things we've done. Now, Bethany used, there's a gap between us and God. Bethany used the word yesterday. She says, what's immorality or something like that, wasn't it? Uh, and we were trying to describe that and we're saying it's things that you really shouldn't do. Some people condone them. Some people say it's okay, but you shouldn't do it. Things like lying and cheating that some people might think it's okay. It's actually an immoral thing. It's wrong. And those things that we might think are relatively small separate you and I from a holy God because God's perfect, doesn't he? Can we believe that? God's perfect. So he can't look on immoral things. He can't look on lies and cheats and wrong things. So since we're a, a young child to whatever age we are, we need that dealt with. So God made this really easy for us, but it wasn't easy for him. He made it easy for us to understand, but it was not easy for him. Because the very God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, the perfect holy God, sent his one and only son, Jesus, and he was born. And he was to be born so that he could live the life you and I are not living. The perfect <coughs> life, the sinless life and also so that he could demonstrate that he's true and this message is true and when Jesus went all the way to the cross at Calvary he paid the price for your sins and I and God raised him from the dead on the third day and God the Father very much alive and active God the Son sitting at the right hand of the Father and Jesus said I'll send you another counsellor guess what God the Holy Spirit now, you might say, I don't understand that much, Graham, but you just need to understand this much. Jesus loves me. This I know, because the Bible tells me so. 
And if you trust in him and you say, I'm sorry for my sins, you'll be saved. If you trust that this is God's sacrifice for you, whether you're five years old or seven or 70, God will save you. Now that's fundamentally a joyous message, isn't it? I was talking to Nancy and we in the door and, you know, I was saying, how are you doing? And I guess that's one question and they may be, okay. <laughs> but we then talked about the joy that we have in the Lord and it's in here, isn't it? And life circumstances come and go, you know, they go up and down like a roller coaster at times. And Uncle Sandy quite rightly was talking about that there. But praise the Lord, we have a foundation, a foundational relationship with Jesus to be found. And once we've got him, he never lets us go. Jesus wants to come to your house. I want to talk just very briefly today, just about what it really means when Jesus comes to our house and just how God came to us, and particularly this time at Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that this word might be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name, I pray that it might be helpful for the building of your kingdom. We pray if there's any that don't know Jesus today, that they might come to know him today as their personal Lord and Saviour. And if we do know him, we pray you'll fan into flame. Even more knowledge of who you are, what you've done for us, Lord. And your plan and purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So just read some verses. They will be on the screen, but you could turn your Bible to them. Luke chapter 2. I say familiar verses, but just thinking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone who went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, where he belonged to the house and line of David. He, was, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then we just pray God will bless the reading of this work to this point in Jesus' name. And Thomas asked for a way in a manger there, and that was very scriptural, Thomas, wasn't it? Because it's right there. We just read it. So we had God sending his son to be born. And he was going to be born in this place called Bethlehem. Now, I'd forgotten to mention today, but I'll just mention it quickly. We're giving to the food bank in Cumbernauld, and it's called Bethlehem, House of Bread. And the word Bethlehem and the thought around the word Bethlehem means house of bread or a place of, you can think of that as a place of provision. And we'll talk a wee bit more about that. So very, very apt. If you want to give to that, there's the Bethlehem House of Bread gold box there you can give in the way out, and they're going to provide vouchers for those who are needing food, who have fallen out of the system, and that happens today, you know. Sad, isn't it, that in Middlesbrough and in Cumbernauld and surrounding areas, there are some people falling out of the system, and for other, sometimes, choices people make as well, and there are kids needing food, and there's families needing food. So it's, this is a Christian-run work in Cumbernauld at Cornerstone, no pressure, but I encourage you, if you'd like to give to that, this will be the last week for that. But Bethlehem, you know, God had promised a number of things about this Savior to come. One of the ways that God shows that this message is true to us is by 
prophesying. That means there were people at certain times in the Old Testament, as we have it now in the, in the Bible, like the prophet Micah, who God's Holy Spirit came upon and, and spoke about what was going to happen. And all the way through the Old Testament, we have God saying to us, a saviour is coming. That's the message through the Old Testament. There is sin, but there's a saviour. And if you were to say, that's all I need to know at this point, that's that much. We have sin and we have a fallen nature, but the Old Testament's telling us there's a saviour coming. There's one who will be called a messiah. There's one who God will bring and send to save us. And that person was no other than God's one and only son, Jesus, as he was just about to be revealed at Bethlehem when he was born. He should be called Jesus because he'll save us from our sins. Lovely, isn't it? So the people who were brought up in this time and age knew these scriptures, right? They would have been taught them. They would have understood some of that. And this was... Uh, examples of that are likes of in uh, Micah 5.2. It says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So in the Old Testament, we can read various accounts that the Savior would be a Jew, not a Gentile, that he'd be born from the tribe of Judah, that he'd be born in the family of David, that he'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, Micah 5, 2. And all of this occurred just as the scriptures and the prophets were told as evidence to us that this is God and it's true. All of it. Isn't that lovely? We need this, don't we? We need to be confident that we know that scriptures written hundreds of years prior, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, are evidence that the events we read about right now is God's plan. But I want to think about the house that Jesus was born into. It's quite a situation, isn't it? And there's Joseph going to his hometown because there was a census being done there. Traveling with a wife that was heavily pregnant, expecting a child. That's not an ideal circumstance, is it? They're, they're sacrificing quite a lot. This is a heavy, difficult situation. And you would think, well, if God was coming into the world, there'll be a, there'll be a fanfare. There'll be a palace set out for him. But you know, when he went, when they went to Bethlehem, there was no room available in the houses when Jesus came to the house. And it said there, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Can you imagine the creator of the entire world and all of us, not even a guest room? How humble is our God? How loving is our God? How sacrificial is our God that he would come to a place and not even have a comfortable guest room? Born in uncomfortable, difficult circumstances. Do you know why? Because John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world, you and I, that he came, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So see if life is really difficult, and hands up if it's really difficult. Life is difficult. It wasn't easy for our saviour, and it didn't start easy. And we say to ourselves, why is there no provision for me here? Look at our saviour. The Lord still provided a place for him to lay his head. 
And there was great fanfare, but it was of a different type. And it was presented in a different way. But I just want to say to you, there's provision for you. There was provision for Jesus, just not what might have been expected. But his father looked after him. And his father announced his arrival. And he loved him. And he loved his father. Isn't that lovely? So don't be disheartened when things don't go so well. Look what our Savior did for us. His provision for us. But when Jesus came to the house of bread, there was no place for him. Then we move on to the next scripture. If we can move on to that, please. I'll just read that quickly. Okay, so uh, verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Interesting that, isn't it? So the very thing that we're thinking is a difficult circumstance, the angels announce this as a sign. You'll find a baby there wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Very specific information they are given to the shepherds who were living and working out in the fields as evidence that when they go there and they find that, that it's true. This message has just been said to them. It's amazing the way God works, isn't it? Giving you very specific information sometimes, a very specific sound. And if that wasn't enough, to scare the living daylights out of these shepherds in the middle of a dark night, <laughs> watching sheep, suddenly, verse 13, a great company of heavenly hosts, angels appeared with the other angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. See, just as they were told, but could you imagine? That verse just flips over nice and quickly there. But that's quite a dramatic series of events. You'd probably be sitting for half an hour going, what's going on? <laughs> I've just seen a mighty company of angels declaring God. Wonderful, isn't it? But they knew it was true. They knew they could tell these signs were true and they were responsive to that. I was just noticing back at the beginning of that, that the shepherds were living in the field and how God was really coming to their house and calling them and telling them the Savior's here for you. Now, lovely? Shepherds just in their own place, living out in the fields nearby. God loves you, you know. Jesus loves you and he'll seek you out just like he did with them. Isn't that lovely? We all know that when we've come to the Lord, he saw us first, hasn't he? I just want to encourage you with that. God went. But then the right response when God comes to your house is what? Ignore him. Do nothing. Or respond. And seek him. So they did the right thing. Let's go. And verse 17, when they'd seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who heard about it were amazed and at what the shepherds told them. So they didn't just keep it to themselves either. And that's true for us today, isn't it? When you accept Jesus, you don't just keep it in here because it's too good news. 
that. It would be selfish to keep it to yourself if you know that your Savior's guaranteed you what we're thinking about. Heaven. Eternal life. Fellowship with him now. Sins forgiven. That's really good news. And it deserves to be spoken about. Even if you get persecuted for it and people don't like what you say sometimes. So I just encourage you all, you've all got that good news. There are a lot of people in here, you've got it, don't you? This is a really good time of year to be telling people the hope you've got. Yeah? Folk fearful today, worried today, and you tell them I've got eternal life because of Jesus. And it's true. And it's for you as well as me. And there's a peace that comes that you need to know about. And it's only when you get right with the Lord Jesus. Is that true? So we've seen that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, but no good provision was given for him. Although he was the saviour of the world. There was no room in the houses or even a guest room when he was born in a manger. And we've seen that God all really provided for him still and showed signs and wonders and evidence that even this sign of him being born in a manger was something which would be signaled to shepherds and he cared about them too enough, God, to actually signal the arrival of the Messiah to all the people out watching sheep. You know, God's always provided practically for his people. We think about the house of bread or bread. In the Old Testament, we see the people of God were given daily provision. What was it called? We quiz? Manna. So the form of food or bread-like and provided on a daily basis. They couldn't store it up. It was provided on a daily basis miraculously by God when God's people had no home that was a permanent home. They were in a wilderness and they were traveling around and God provided for them. Isn't that lovely? Now, no Testament, God's people, the important thing is you need to be God's people. You need to be following him. You need to be obedient to him and there's provision for you. In the New Testament, you can translate that to the Lord Jesus. The Lord's prayer that's on our window at the church, what does it say as part of that? Give us today our daily bread. There's provision for you and for your house. Practical provision. Things that you need. Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And sometimes we are quite rightly worried. Like I said earlier on, there's a food bank because there's a need, sadly. But God meets that need when people are responsive to him and seeking that need and praise God for Cornerstone House of Bread, the Christians that are modeling like Jesus did. What did Jesus do when there was a crowd coming to him, a big crowd to hear the words, but they were hungry first? What did he do? He fed them. And he fed them through a miraculous provision of bread as part of that because he's God. So he's able to make something out of nothing, isn't he? Manna. Multiplied bread. It wasn't there. Miraculous power because he's God and we're not. So we say we're running out of provision. God never runs out. Kathy, you know, over the years, you know, when she'd be praying, she would quote that verse, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, isn't it? That, that verse. I hope I've got that right. But God, God, God has all the provision in his storehouse. What he's waiting for is somebody to ask him properly. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Trust in Jesus and you'll not go wrong. 
pray that prayer, you'll not go wrong. And there's provision for us on that daily basis. And we have to ask. Sometimes we think, but what about tomorrow? You know, uh, sometimes we're struggling financially, aren't we? Sometimes we've lost our jobs. Sometimes there's very serious lack of provision in terms of how am I going to look after my family? And it's natural to be anxious about tomorrow, isn't it? But Jesus dealt with that head on. He said in Matthew 6, verse 31, he said, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things in you. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Great, isn't it? So it's not saying about being greedy, but it's saying that our father knows what you need before you ask him. I'll ask him for a Ferrari. I'm probably not going to get it. That's it. But he understands that I would be asking for a job and I'd be asking for provision for my family and I'd be asking for provision to look after God's church. Yeah? And God would be pleased to answer prayers like that that are done from a heart of love for the Lord. So don't worry about what's happening two, three, four days ahead or months ahead, but commit your days, your daily bread to the Lord. Isn't that lovely? And God will provide the job. Joe Bowen's telling me there today he's delighted he's got a job. We've all been praying for Joe to get a job. He's got one. It's a good job. Let's pray. It goes well for him. And he attributes that to God's help, doesn't he? We know Joe does. So just as I'm cl closing here, just thinking about what it means when Jesus comes to your house, I want to make this really practical today. Christmas might be stressing you out. Even just this virus and this pandemic may be stressing you out, right? Causing you some anxiety. Maybe even the meeting with family members or whatever's happening, maybe it's actually just troubling you rather than helping you to just now. I would like to encourage you that our father is a good father. He's really, really good. He's really good. And whether you're planning on going to Argentina and you're concerned about the flights and the virus and the checks, if God wants it to happen, God will make it happen. He'll provide. Because he provides for his people. And what we have to do is pray daily and commit daily. And I'm not the best at doing that all the time. And let's be honest, we're all probably not that great at doing it all the time. We strive in our own strength far too often. But if we just simply say, Lord, it's over to you. If you want me to do this and do that, I'm going to trust you that you'll provide. And if it's not the right thing, you'll not provide. And that'll be a good sign to me that it's not. Right? I used to pray about a job situation saying, Lord, I still pray this way. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know which job's right for me. So please, please open only one door for me at a time. Because I really don't have a clue. So I'm asking you to make it straightforward for me. And if you want me to go on this trip or do this or do that, I think that's scriptural to say, Lord, direct my path. That's the Proverbs. Trust not in your own understanding, but on God, and he'll make your path straight. That's a simple principle, isn't it? So, yes, there are things to be anxious about, but for today and tomorrow and the next day and for Christmas and the new year, let's commit each day to the Lord and try not to be anxious. If we know the Lord, we don't need to be anxious. Even if we die, because he's given us eternal life.
and he's given us ability for provision today. Just focusing on Jesus as we close, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if you wanted to see that, maybe in your own time, you could look at John 6, John chapter 6, verse 35 to 40. And I'll just read some verses from that. Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. That's a promise for you and I, the trust in Jesus. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And Jesus gave us some symbols and ways to encourage ourselves in the Lord until that day when Jesus comes back again. You know, the Holy Spirit has been sent so that we can experience when we have Jesus as our Savior, him in here, changing us, transforming our lives. But we've also got that hope for the future, don't we? And Jesus took bread in the Last Supper before he went to the cross at Calvary. And in Luke 22, uh, verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just one wee illustration from this scripture that's a true, it happened about Jesus coming to the house. In Luke 22, verses are not on the screen, but if you have your Bible, you can turn. They were preparing for Passover, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room, all furnished provision. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Isn't that lovely? Jesus came to the house and there was provision there for him. And this was a sign of God's favor and blessing on his son the perfect lamb of God. And lovely even there, it was a guest room, but this time it was furnished. There was a provision in it. It was a sign, a signal. When those disciples were to remember that day, once Jesus died and was resurrected, and they were to be obedient, just like we do in communion, to remember the Lord in that way. He's told us to do it. It's to encourage our hearts that God's provided his son for us. And even there, in that house in that day, there was miraculous provision.
go to that place. Would that encourage you today? Yeah. As you're thinking, I'm under pressure planning for this Christmas dinner. I'm, I'm under pressure getting my house tidy. <laughs> right? We're really under pressure. That's why nobody comes to us for Christmas dinner. But, do you know, the practical things that we lay before the Lord and we trust in his provision. I trust that we might encourage you today. Really think we need that. Both in terms of our salvation, but also in terms of the wonderful provision from God for our daily lives. What a wonderful saviour. When Jesus comes to your house. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the way that you speak. Your word is presented very straightforward and simple, but it's deep and it's true. And it's inspired by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Father, whether we're a child here today and we're young in age or whether we're older, we pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you will speak to us in a way that we can understand from what's been said here today, what's been sung, what's been shared. Pray if anyone doesn't know Jesus today that they'll welcome us into their, the house of their heart. Admit, admit you've sinned and done wrong things. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal saviour and confess your sins and declare Jesus as Lord of your life and you will be changed. Your life will be transformed and it will be noticeable to you and the people around you. And I encourage you also, if you've done that, even recently, would you tell someone about it? Because the Bible says, confess and speak about Jesus and tell people he's your Lord. And you'll get a great blessing when you turn to the person next to you and you say, see what I did? I trusted in Jesus as my personal saviour. The Lord will bless you when you share that with people. And for those, those of us that know Jesus and all of us that are maybe feeling about anxious about today and tomorrow, we pray, Father, your will will be done in our lives, in our families. And that you'll provide the things you want us to have. And you'll enable us to go the places you want us to go. And just make things really, really clear in terms of what you would have us do. And help us not to be worrying about things that are unnecessary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.